a little for a ring. Are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pastor a podcast about life and set apart ministry each week we sit down to discuss our experiences and challenges in small town parish ministry and in phd work and ask others to join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can so listeners this week we have ian back on the pod with us to help contribute help us figure out our our lives in this brave new world that we have found ourselves in hello <laughs> but before we get into uh, what we want to talk about with uh, the United Methodist Church and, you know, just the world around us, Ethan, how was your week this week? Oh, you know, my whole world is, is crumbling, kind of. I'm sick, I've got a cold, which means I'm whiny, although I'm a lot less whiny now that after having a child, I'm able to take the cold a little more, a little more uh, uh, heartily. Because, you know, I just, I'm filled with compassion for my child whenever she's sick. She also, she, I am, it's it's real. Uh, She also uh, has a quick side thing about Adrea. Adrea is, my daughter is obsessed with Luigi of Mario and Luigi. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She just loves him. And part of it is because I play Luigi's Mansion and she, she thinks that game's really interesting. But she just loves Luigi. She can't. She can't get enough of it. And so the last time we were at Target, like two two weeks ago, we uh, we found uh, in uh, Mario and Luigi pajamas. Ooh. And so we got them for her, and she uh, got to be Luigi last night. Well, and and so she made me call her Luigi the whole night when she was in her pajamas. Because <laughs> I love you, Dad. I love you too, honey. No, you have to call me Luigi. Oh, I love you, Luigi. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very good. Have a good night, Luigi. Thank you, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's good. The Trump stuff is is fun, you know. Trump, uh, the the uh, the as the anxiety begins to leave my system over Trump, uh, um, some of what he does, as and I remember some of it, not everything. Uh, I remember it as a little funnier. You know, like, because he's disappearing, right? Like, but but it's always funny when when wannabe dictators who take themselves too seriously look stupid. Uh, that's always funny. Um, but uh, that's all besides the point. Those are fun things that are happening in my life. Um, I'm finishing up all my semester here in the next two weeks. So I'm planning papers and different things in and around trying to finish up other readings for class. Listeners, in the mini-sode this week, we're going to uh, talk more about this book that I've been reading for Theology of Culture on Process Theology, Um, and one of my favorite theologians, Gregory of Nyssa, 
Uh, so be on the lookout for that mini-sode. Too long, didn't read. Gregory of Nyssa, best Christian theologian you'll ever see, you'll ever see in your life. Pretty cool. Pretty uh, cool. Better, better than uh, Cracker Jack, Alfred North Whitehead. That's going to be his <laughs> name from now on. Cracker, ja- Cracker Jack Whitehead. Um, all that, all that the world is becoming. Yeah, we understand. We get it. Okay. Um, but so's <laughs> God. Shut up. Shut up, Whitehead. <laughs> you don't have any idea you're talking about. But, but anyway, that's going to be what the minisode's about, and I hope you enjoy it. But, uh, Joe, how was your week this week? Any, any updates on the, on the home front? Um, so I told my churches on Sunday that I'm leaving, um, and pretty much everybody took that pretty well. Um, I also had charge conference right after I announced that at um, – the church that I've been serving at this whole time. And uh, I really feel like my SPRC chair is shutting me out, but being like very bubbly and kind while shutting me out. And I don't love that. Um, But who knows what's going on in her household. She's, she's had a whole lot going on in on top of the fact that her husband is the one who yelled at me in the middle of the service. So uh, who knows that might be a relationship we can repair. It might not. Um, and I, uh, oh, I shared this podcast on my Facebook as a, like, I'm leaving, uh, and I'll, I'll write about it generously at some point, but here's like kind of the full raw version of it. So thank you to everybody who listened. Thank you to everybody who sent me messages. That was very kind and very caring. And I appreciate all of them. I assume you only listened to that one episode because that's how a lot of podcasts work. But thank you for listening. And if you're continuing to listen, hello. It's good to see you on uh, assuming that I will see you in the listening totals. So that's exciting for me. You took a breath. So I was waiting for you to respond. (laughs) I did not take a breath. (laughs) You don't breathe. I don't Um, breathe. Uh, let me see if there's anything else. The, uh, the big kind of news that happened yesterday is that Roy Cooper, thank you, I voted for you, um, moved us. We're still in phase three of reopening, but um, he said that indoor gatherings are limited to 10 people and fewer. Um, there's an exemption for churches, and my churches have only had about 14 people in them max. Uh, and so, like, we could continue to meet, um, but I, one, don't want to, and two, like, I, I don't know, I keep on going back and forth about this, because um, every time I've tried to, like, sit down with a group of people to talk about whether we should meet in person or go online or any of these kind of things, like, everybody's just kind of shrugged and been like, I mean, you do what you're going to do. And so I don't want to ask anybody because uh, they're just not going to give me any good feedback. Um, but then I also hate to take away meeting in person from my smaller church because they've been, it's been really good for them. And so I'm kind of wrestling with that to see what the, what the responsible thing to do is and thinking about that. COVID, it did not end after the election. Shocking. I know. Crazy, crazy. Um, but I think that's, that's really it from me for, for this week. I started with my spiritual director. I had my first uh, session with my spiritual director yesterday, um, which was good. It was kind of more of just, I, I had to like explain big picture parts of my story. Um, 
so, so that we would know kind of like the level of things that we're working with. Because there's a point in time where uh, she, I, I had talked about how um, my prayer life has kind of just gone to shit. And she's like, well, have you, have you ever actually like just gotten mad at God and yelled at God? And I was like, I mean, I've been mad at God and I tell people all the time that they can yell at God and God can take it. So like they should do that if that helps them. And she was like, mm hmm. So uh, have you yelled at God? <laughs> and I was like, well, no, um, not in any really like meaningful way. And so uh, we talked about doing that. And then she talked about also just like putting up post-its with like reminders of things that are true. Uh, and I was like, you know, I don't want to do that because as a, as a baby evangelical, I wrote a lot of Bible verses on a lot of note cards and stuck them to my mirror in order to memorize pieces of the Bible. So like that just feels very fake to me. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to like write a lot of stuff with curse words in it. And she's like, yeah, write fuck it on a post-it note just to remind yourself that you can indeed say fuck it whenever you need to. And I was like, I think this is going to work out just fine. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's this weird, uh, combination of having somebody, somebody like a peer who like gets the full picture. Cause I have many friends that I talk to who are also pastors who like get it. Um, but having somebody who gets it and somebody who is able to be like, now, what what best practices are there out there and which ones are you actually going to do and which ones should you probably try um and just having somebody who like is willing to uh point me in the right direction and say let's do this and i'm gonna hold you accountable to this so like going back to our spiritual direction from spiritual direction conversation from a couple weeks ago like it is kind of like having an accountability partner but it's like having a really knowledgeable accountability partner who has like great insight um and i i am excited about it so that's awesome yeah i feel good about it um i feel excited about it so there's that so that's that's kind of been my week i came up uh the reason that ian is on the pod this week is i came up yesterday and surprised him but i'm also driving back home <laughs> today so i'm listening to a lot of audiobooks which is always good so yeah um so uh, speaking of things that have happened this week uh our last episode we recorded on wednesday when we were still last wednesday when we were still waiting on the results of the election the election has uh since been called and uh regardless of what donald trump says we we all know um but there's also been that kind of like introspection on the part of the dnc to say like well we lost seats in the house we didn't we the the senate is still up in the air um so like what, what, what could we have done differently in order to really get the seats that we want to get? Um, and AOC had a lot to say about that. And Ethan, I hear that you have a lot to say and think about what AOC had to say. So tell us, tell us your thoughts. Give us your, your thesis statement and we'll chat through it. Oh my. Well, I tend to think AOC is probably right. Um, not just because... I think that AOC's right about a lot of stuff like that I, I like her, but because I think it's like pretty self-evidently correct. Like, you know, one of the things AOC has said, and I, somebody correct me if I'm getting this wrong, is that AOC kind of rightly demonstrates and shows that like, hey, 
the conservative think tanks, you know, that, that attempted to bring Trump down, uh, the DNC's um, kind of wedding of moderate Republicans who don't like Trump to their cause, that in no way flipped the election. Right. Kasich did not deliver Ohio. No. Yeah, yeah. It was a great little tweet. He goes, well, thanks to John Kasich for uh, helping us gain Ohio. Uh, oh, sorry. We actually lost Ohio <laughs> by, <laughs> by eight points. Like, like, it just didn't work. And in fact, like, the, what we see is the, the areas that, you know, I think performed the best and the reason why these communities of uh, people came out to vote for Joe Biden uh, are, are because of the on-the-ground hard work of more progressive Democrats who signed people up for voting, who did hard field work with people in different parts of the, world, uh, of the country, and who presented a more progressive vision for how our, 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 our country could be governed and how things could be. It was not like so like juxtapose that with Mitt Romney, who I watched Mitt Romney on CNN. I think he was being interviewed by Jake Trapper. Uh, and 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 he was asked, he was kind of asked, who did you vote for? And uh, and Mitt Romney said, well, who I voted the my vote. That's all in the rearview mirror because Mitt Romney has, was one of the few Republicans who've come out and, and congratulated Joe Biden. Because we've known, like, Mitt Romney is not in favor of Donald Trump. Like, we know that. And Mitt Romney has said, however, you know, once President-elect Biden takes office, like, we're going to go back to how, you know, things are supposed to be. And, and I, as a conservative Republican, am going to start going to continue fighting for the things that my constituents and I believe in, which is more coal, more gas, more oil. And, and no Medicare for all. And he said all of that, like out loud. And I'm like, yeah, these people are not our allies. You know, our allies are the people who the progressive wing of the, of the Democratic Party mobilized and inspired and worked to, to, to develop a coalition. And AOC, I think, really kind of rightly points that out. And, and, this uh, kind of weird call, this weird um, uh, 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 sense in some of the Democratic Party's higher-ups that that's why we need to continue to stay in the center because that's how we're going to maintain power is, is absurd. It's self-evidently not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and AOC's right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, one of the things that uh, me being a kind of amateur policy wonk, (laughs) (laughs) hobbyist policy wonk, policy hobbyist, I'm not sure what the the proper... Somebody who went to American University, that's (laughs) what the proper term is. Fair enough. I didn't like politics when I was at American University. Uh, Because it was everywhere, I assume. Yeah, yeah. but like when I think about these progressive policy uh, agendas that I hold deep in my heart 
uh, stuff like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Like those are the, the two easiest ones to lift up. But it, what frustrates me is how we have let them become these boogeymen mm-hmm. kind of policies. Like we don't just where like we lift it up in like these rapid fire lightning round interviews with politicians and we ask them, okay, yes or no. Do you support the green new deal? Yes or no. Do you support Medicare for all? And it's, they, they say yes or no. And you know, there was an interview of Joe Biden doing it during the primaries with Stephen Colbert and it was, you know, no and no. And uh, <clears throat> there was a recent interview with uh, John Ossoff, uh, who is one of the Democrats uh, in Georgia in the runoff elections in January. And again, he was no and no for those two things. And it's like, okay, so I want to know what about them don't you like? Right. Um, because those are two giant, huge, like legislative uh, pieces of legislation. So what in there do you disagree with? Um, as opposed to just saying, no, I, I, I'm not for it. Um, because I've read parts of the Green New Deal. I've read a lot of the Green New Deal. I submitted a resolution to General Conference, if and when we ever have General Conference, um, that would argue, that argues that the United Methodist denomination should be advocating for the Green New Deal and Green New Deal type legislation around the world. Um, and it really, it's, it's, it, the Green New Deal has two components to it. There's, it, it recognizes the, the dire situation we're in regarding climate change um, and how we are running out of time faster than we think we are. Uh, and we need to have like a abrupt change to our way of life. Uh, but the second part of it is a, recogniz- uh, a recognition that so much of our economy is mm-hmm. built and organized around the, the uh, built and organized around fossil fuels, built and, like, uh, built and organized around uh, a way of life that got us to this situation. Uh, and so the second part of the Green New Deal is recommendations for uh, policy proposals that would address that and alleviate the economic concerns of doing a massive shift of our uh, economy and energy uh, structure in this country to that. So that when we transition from uh, from coal and we stop mining coal, we don't have um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers out of a job, which translates to hundreds of thousands of people without a paycheck, hundreds of thousands of people without insurance, without a way to support themselves. Um, And so like, tell me, John Ossoff, what about the Green New Deal don't you like? Ian, what you don't understand is that climate change is gonna go away as soon as we stop the gays because the gays are causing climate change. And then also, we don't need to care for poor people. Poor people just need to try harder. Mm. You know, I was, I was really thinking you were going to say, Ian, 
you don't understand. We elected Joe Biden. Climate change is fixed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. That's even more untrue. (laughs) Yes. But I think that's the, what I'm kind of piecing together from, from what we're talking about um, is that there is a real need for us to um, stop considering the feelings of conservatives, both in the church and in the world. I don't know if we talked about the church yet, no. but I just immediately went to it. Like the reason why your proposal for us to support the Green New Deal isn't going to pass in the church is because we're too busy worried about who's bumping uglies. Right. And the other thing about it is that we're going to make some Republicans mad in the church and we can't do that uh, because what will the church be without Republicans? Right. right. It'll be the end of the world. We won't be able to function if we don't have our donors. And like, that's a hot steaming pile of bullshit. That has nothing to do with like the call of Christ at all. But both like both in politics and I think in the UMC, which I think is is another part of Ethan's point that I have stolen from him now, is that like we are too worried about what rich old white people are going to think. And we just need to tell them to fuck off because as soon as we tell them to fuck off, we can actually focus on the people who can make real changes and save something here. Right. Like, like uh, AOC put out uh, some graphics yesterday explaining like why, uh, we need to listen to the, why Democrats need to listen to their base. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very crystal clear, like great graphics, uh, like single-handedly putting <laughs> the entire DNC on her back with her digital game. <laughs> but uh, with the, there were six House Democrats in swing districts that were um, co-sponsors of the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. and they all won re-election. Right. 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 Uh, and it's so. It's just so easy so easy to say well it's aoc and the the squad uh are who all won re-election who all won re-election who all won re-election and they're pretty blue districts well uh but who all uh, who are advancing this radical leftist agenda uh and that's why poor little uh dems in purple districts uh did lose, but but uh, no, that's that's not true. We we had huge Republican turnout in <laughs> this year, uh, mm-hmm. as far as election goes, and two, like they just ran bad campaigns. They ran bad campaigns. They didn't have good digital campaigns. Nobody expected this level of Republican turnout. Like we did not think that Trump would actually energize beyond his base. And I get all that. Or or that his base was he he energized his his base and got them to turn out in a way yeah. that we didn't realize how big that base was. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think that um, to go back to the demonizing part with the with the Green New Deal, that one tweet that I saw, or tweet or Facebook post, something that I saw in the, in the outcome of the election was, you know, just start making people's lives better. If you were just focused on policies that make people's lives better and you don't really get yourself allow yourself to be bogged down in the partisan fighting over whether this is a demon plan or not, and you just do it and people's lives are better, then like you've won. Like the game is over. You've already won. Govern from a place of making people's lives better 
and you're you're set you're good uh, mitch mcconnell notwithstanding but it's the same thing in the church like do things that are going to make communities better that are going to make people's lives better just like make the world better as the church and people are going to start wanting to participate in this they're going to want to be a part of this the reason young people don't want to be a part of this right now the reason young clergy are leaving the church right now is because the church isn't making anything better it is in fact making the world worse and even if it's not on even if you can pick out different examples of like good things that the christian church has done over the centuries is doing today all this kind of stuff the the perception is among most people that like the church capital c and any subsidiaries of the church are fucking shit up and they don't want to have anything to do with it and we have to do we have to make moves if we're going to change anybody's mind about that yeah i agree i mean what we're seeing and just just to remind you know our listeners and us of this the the churches you know from a local level that that have people you know younger people or really anybody who wants to want to be a part of them are one of two kinds of things. Either they're churches that have really good mousetraps that kind of mm -hmm. enmesh people into a worldview or, to, or a way of doing things that, you know, makes them feel good or empowers mm -hmm. them, you know, in, in really particular ways. Those are things that I'm in no way interested in. You know, and I assume we're none of us are interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm always much more interested in connecting with people whom church has never worked for, right? Um, and and the churches that are able to connect with people like that uh, at local levels are having real good success with that. They're having success with connecting with younger people, you know, or or anybody whom the church has never worked for. And this is my, here's my point. I, I think that we are trained as left-leaning people, liberal people, left-leaning people, whatever. Democrats really is really what I'm trying to say. I think the Democratic Party has trained uh, many people who are Democrats to imagine that um, – we are not in the business of changing sort of really fundamental things about our culture, our world, our society, our government, because we believe that, that ultimately it, it, it's the bones are good mm -hmm. and, that, and that we're okay. Now, now, this semester has actually helped me be a little more generous to that because of my political theology class, and, and so I, I, I'm a little more generous than I used to be on that front. But um, this is another way I think it connects to what's going on in the United Methodist Church. I think that things like the Green New Deal, things like um, Medicare for All, uh, things like, and now, now, I'm, now I'm really going into things that aren't going to happen in this country in, in my daughter's lifetime. Things like uh, um, guaranteed basic income. Yeah, I was going to, if UBI you know, wasn't what was going to come out of your mouth, I was going to say that, yeah. Right, right. Things like that. I think that we are 
predisposed to try to explain these things in ways that um, are, are, are meant to convince people that, that this won't um, uh, change the world in short-term negative ways. Hmm. When, when it absolutely will. So like, yeah. so like uh, Mitch McConnell, this is my most generous reading of Mitch McConnell, of that poor <laughs> zombie turtle. Um, <laughs> my most generous reading of Mitch McConnell is Mitch McConnell is attempting by any means necessary to defend a way of life that if the progressives, whoever they are, win, will be destroyed because it will. Some of, if the Green New Deal passes, certain ways of life will be destroyed. These are ways of life that should be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they'll be destroyed. And it will, in fact, impact negatively, at least for the short term, people. Probably some of Mitch McConnell's constituents. Probably. Oh, like he fucking cares. He doesn't care, but <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to give a really generous reading here. <laughs> For no reason. For no reason. But like but it will, it'll happen. That will happen. You know? It will. Uh this is why there are doctors, you know, out there who who really don't see why we need universal health care. Mm-hmm. What what if it what if it ruins their life? What if it what if it changes in a negative short at least short term way, the way they are doctors? Well, it will, of course it will. You know. Uh, what if I want to be a coal miner? Well, you can't. That sounds an awful lot like tyranny and the root and the destruction of my way of life. It is. It is. Sorry. I think that I I think that we are trained to want to say that that's like not going to happen when it absolutely will. Let me make let me let me make the connection to the church. If the United Methodist Church in full endorses the Green New Deal, that is the end of the United Methodist Church as we know it. If the United Methodist Church really does say fuck it to Republican rich white people and say and say of course you can be a part of our church but just so you know you do not get to call the shots you do not get to say what your money will and will not do you do not get to dictate the doctrine and the ideology you do not from you know these things get to dictate um how we love and and honor the vulnerable and the poor and the faceless then that is really is the end of the United Methodist Church in this country. It really is. And it should disappear. Mm -hmm. But it really is the end of it. It's over. And so from that perspective, I don't think it's that shocking that so many people are resistant to it. Mm -hmm. because, because they sense, even if they don't put it in this way, they sense that, that what you're really asking is for things to die. 
you're really at like, and, and I think, and I want to go back to that. I think that we are trained to, to sort of present some of this as if that wasn't true, but, uh, but it's, and, and I think that's where some of the inane shrieking of like a Tucker Carlson comes from mm. and why somebody like a Tucker Carlson sees liars, you know, in, in, among Democrats. Um, it's because I think we're lying to ourselves a bit. Like, uh, uh, of course, Medicare for all would change um, insurance as we know it. That's a good How thing many, because insurance uh, we know it is broken. Right. Exactly. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a very right. good. It's of course it's a good thing. But you know what? Of course that means millions of people will be out of the insurance game. Of course it will. And that's not unjust in any way, shape, or form because the people who are, well, there are going to be some collateral, but like they can also get in on, there's going to have to be new jobs created anyway for the way sure. this functions. Like sure, sure. the people who should be losing out are those gigantic insurance executives who are making entirely too much money. And like, I have no sympathy for them. This is justice. Right, right. But, but I, I agree with you. All I'm trying to say is that I think, I think that um, the, sometimes we, we sort of try to gloss over or cover up the real loss that will happen uh, if progressive policies are passed. It's a real loss. And uh, that will affect people who are not rich. Right. You know, it, like it's real. It might be necessary. And, and, and I'm for it. But this is the kind of, this is, I think, part of the generating of anger and resentment on the right. Um, I'm not saying, you know, you know, we all have a very complicated relationship with Obama. We all, I understand. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are, there, it, it is not impossible uh, for, or, 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 you know, impossible is the wrong word. It is not, uh, it is not a lie. Republicans don't have to lie to point to concrete ways the Affordable Care Act negatively impacted people. Even if it's good in the long run. Uh, and and so that that those negative impacts weren't constantly a part of the rhetoric on the left, uh, I think does us a disservice. And I think it's the same thing at the level of the church, right? Like, I think that what what we are often wishing can happen at the church level, both at the kind of global denominational level and at the local level, is actually a loss. It's 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 a kicking out of key ways the church has, has, been, has been the church in communities, uh, the key ways that people have identified themselves within the church, and you know, key ways that they understand who they are as Christians and who they are as citizens and who they are as all this stuff. We are asking a lot. We are not reforming. We're reconstructing. 
Uh, and we sort of know that, but like, I, I don't think that we are, are uh, always very honest with ourselves and with our people, you know, when, when we say that, like, and so when people, when people resist, when, when people say, no, no, we, the church, the church can't do that. And we go, well, why not? The, the answer is really not that hard because it will destroy it. And it will, of course it will. That's the point. That's, that's, that's the point, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just that like, as much as Jesus says that like, my yoke is easy. He also says to take up your cross, you know, yeah. like there is, there, there is this sense of, um, you know, everything that I've gained in this world, I consider shit if I can trade it for Christ, you know, like that, as Paul says, like, all these things in this world that we are so proud of or so comfortable with or have held on to so tight, if they are stopping us from reaching Christ, they need to fall away. And that, that, that more than anything else drives me nuts, both about the church and about the United States and democracy and, and, and what we consider ourselves to be as Americans is there's a lie at the heart of, of American Christianity and America. And the lie is that uh, we're somehow good and somehow better just because we're Christian or just because we're Americans. Like just because we have this identity, we're fine and nothing will ever cost us anything. And that's just not true. Like we are the, the church in the United States and our conception of ourselves as Americans is built on genocide and enslavement and all of these terrible things. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but we haven't dealt with it. So we have to keep on saying it. We were never great. You know, we only have the opportunity to get rid of the things that have held us back so that we can move forward. And I'm sorry if that is something that like costs you dearly, but that doesn't mean that you were always on the side of Christ. That means that you have things to repent of and things to get rid of. And Jesus never promised that that would be easy. Jesus never promised to leave you exactly the way you are. Like, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is repent and believe the good news. Like, we have to. We just have to. Otherwise, we're stuck. Otherwise, we're just going to do this all again in four years. And I can't. I can't do that. I can't stay in the cycle. Whew. Sorry. I, I hear you and I agree with you. I, all I, I'm, I'm really just trying to speak really practically, right? Like right. the pra So one of the reasons why these progressive policies are, are, you know, gaining so much momentum in many different ways and in real ways, you know, at the ground level is because it, they are, they are good news for people whom the, the old ways have never worked. Right, right, right. You know, like, uh, of course, like, and that's a good thing. But, but this is this is also why it's so easy for people whom the old ways have worked for to become racist, and people who are, you know, who have such awful uh, ways of of viewing, you know, impoverished folks or stuff like that. Like, they see it in in as as like, well, these are people who. Uh, are are trying to destroy my way of life, and and when when we go well, of course that's not true. We are lying to them. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, they, we are. We are actively attempting to destroy a particular group of ways of life. We are. We are. We are attempting to destroy the way of life of Blue Cross Blue Shield. We really are. We're really trying to. We're really trying to. And, and, and so, and, and many other things, you know, and of big oil and of, and, and so when big oil puts ads out all throughout Texas, that says the Democrats are attempting to ruin your life uh, because millions of people work for big oil and they're trying to get you out of the job. They're right. They're right. We are. That's what we're trying to do. We're not, we're not on purpose trying to make people lose their jobs. That's not the end game. The end game is a better life and a more sustained world. But in, the middle, in between that, people are going to lose their jobs. And it's not going to be rich people. Rich people are continue right. to continue to be rich. Because that is the way of the world. To those that is the way of the world. Been given, they will be given more. Um, I had a, I had a friend who was talking about, um, people who like have been in the region that we're in since their like great grandfather moved here and they're like, and we can't, we're not going to go anywhere. We belong here. And, uh, we came here for a better life and we're owed a better life here. And what they miss in that story is that their great grandfather moved from somewhere where surely he thought he was owed a better life to, to a new place in order to find work. Like it has always been the way of things that we move on to meet the needs that we have. And so this kind of, this recalcitrance to change um, is, uh, is not necessarily logical, even within a single family's history, like within living memory. Um, there's, there's not really this need to stick to, uh, this place that you came to because your parents thought the opportunity was going to be here when opportunity is no longer here. Like you don't owe allegiance to the coal company. You don't owe allegiance to the oil and gas company. You came here for opportunity because there was good money. And when there's not anymore, go somewhere else. That's what we've always done. Why have we forgotten that that's what we always do? Isn't loyalty good, though? Well, I'm a Hufflepuff, so I would say yes. But okay. not, not to the coal company. You know I agree with you, right? Like, like right. of course yeah. I agree with you. But I also think loyalty kills. And so, like, I, I think that we should be loyal to nothing and nobody. Not even, not even to ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's – I'm being silly. A little silly. But I'm kind of not, like – you know, it's like the idea of an honorable fight. Let's have an honorable fight. Ooh, that sounds like a fight that I might lose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> an honorable fight? How about I stomp on your nads over and over and over until until you give up? That sounds like a fight that I'll win. Um, but, uh, you know, because, hey, if I'm going to die, who's going to, you know, get that sweet... 24k a year stipend money for my family um anyway i'm being i'm being silly i i I think that 
the uh, so why are we talking about this well i think i i want to talk about this and i want to kind of work through this because i'm trying to figure out how um christian people and and people who are committed because of their christianity like me you know to policies and 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 sort of public policies that that want to um consider anew everything you know Mm -hmm. in order to make our lives better like how we can live well with 70 million people who have a radically different view from us Mm -hmm. like what do we do what do we do because like and that's not up to us i guess but like we we all have people in our lives including me who we want to be good to you know we we want to honor and i mean this this is going to sound weird we want to be able to honor the sources of our existence I want to be able to honor my grandparents because they are a source of my existence. I want to be able to honor the church because it's a source of my existence. I can get fucking pissed off at all of these things, but they're still, they're still make me, me, you know, and family and friends and people and and all kinds of things. I want to be able to honor these people and institutions, but some of these people and institutions have fundamentally different visions of morality and reality from me now. How do, how do I, what do we do? You know, like, like how, how do I move forward? Like how, how does any of us move forward um, without breaking? But, but like some of, but, but, some of the breaks that we're talking about are things like the sources of what makes us us, Hmm. you know, like, like that's a real, that's a real thing. And it's, and it's also an asymmetrical problem because there isn't a single person in that 70 million group who's asking the question of us. Well, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, nobody's asking, how do I continue to love my progressive friends and family? You know, no, and so, and so it's a pain in the ass, but like, but it's a real question. You know, it's a real, that's a real thing. There, there are some people, I, there are people in the, in the uh, town that I served in and in that area who, who are still my dear friends who I love, who I love very much. And then there are people in that town that, that are the dear friends of those people who, who are lunatics, you know, who, who, believe wholeheartedly not only that that the guy they voted for stole this election but that it would be better if the democratic process disappeared and trump was president for life i don't have to deal with those people anymore but my friends do my friends work with those people, rely on those people. They're a part of their communities and sources of existence. What do we do? 
you know? And, and, and that, I think, I actually think, is the question that the Christian community has to ask. Because, like, if there's one thing that, that Christians in the world uh, might be able to do well is, um, at a grassroots level, promote um, real, comprehensive um, shalom. After, after tons of, of fighting for liberation, like, I'm not saying shalom over against justice. That's not what I'm saying. You know what, how I think peace is. You know, you know how I think peace works. But, like, but like I think that we can be mobilized in a, in a unique way to do that. But, but, like, is part of that peace just a, well, I guess we just chaff it off, put it in the fire, and let it be done with it? You know, is that part of how we do that? You know, I don't know. I, I just, it, 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 70 million. That's 70 million people. Yeah, I, boy, um, I, I, I'm real conflicted on this, too. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to be conflicted about it anymore. Like, the people of color in my life are all over here saying that, like, let the racists go, like, <laughs> not that we think the Confederacy is a good idea, but that, like, go ahead, let's, like, let the racists all go live together. Like, we don't need to interact with them. We can just be done with them. Um and, and I, I really want to value this perspective that like, I, you know, conservatives haven't, haven't earned any goodwill from us, are not willing to extend any goodwill to us. Like, I'm willing to just do whatever we need to do in order to make life better for like me and mine, because I know that making life better for the people that I care about is going to make life better for everybody, those fucking conservatives included. So like, there's a, there's a real strain in my thought of like, let me focus on helping the people who I know need it. And then I don't care about those other people. I don't have to deal with those other people. They can just be. Um, but then, but then I also do have like that hope that the, um, the long hard work of Christian discipleship can actually happen within our churches and we can actually find a way to, um, as Christians promote life and life abundant through, through how we are together and through our communities. It's just that I have not been in a single church that is going to effectively bring about Shalom. Not a single one. Every single one of them is caught up in um, making rich conservative donors happy and in uh, placating young loud liberals. Like, no, I have not met a church that is willing to actually step out there and do what's needed and, and do any type of real, honest to God, justice-focused shalom work. Like, I don't, I, and, and that might just be my experience with churches, but, like, there's not a ton of churches that are doing it. They're not making headlines. They're not, like, I don't, I don't know that the church in the United States can actually be that. I, I would love for us to be that. I think we have within Christian tradition, the capability of being that. I don't think we have the will to be that in the church in the United States. Hmm. Ian, what's the solution? <laughs> what was the last thing Joe said? Um, I said that I don't think that the church in the United States has the will to um, 
do to create shalom through justice work? Um, there is no church in the United States. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you. It's just you short circuited the problem. <laughs> uh, or rather, what we call the church in the United States is not the church. Um, I think we need to like when we're naming these things, we're talking first about white mainline Protestant churches right. or white white mainline Protestant uh, institutions. Um, I think that uh, in the the black Protestant church, especially like is doing a lot of what you're saying the white Protestant church is not doing. Oh, that's true. Um, and I don't want to short circuit that. Um, give that short shrift. Give that a short shrift. Yeah. Um, but these houses of worship where white people gather on a Sunday morning aren't churches. The United Methodist Church is not a church. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is not a church. The Presbyterian Church USA is not a church. And like, those are the liberal ones. Right. Um, these are institutions that seek not to serve them, uh, seek not to serve Christ, but seek to serve themselves. Um, they care about their own survival more than the the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church in America if we're going to use uh kind of like uh it's kind of like um the to go back to politics um when we're talking about the office of the presidency, um, the the office of the a person doesn't sit in the office of the presidency. The office of the presidency, like, is over one person, and then it moves to another person. Like, Donald Trump could hold himself up in the in the White House, barricade himself in, and Joe Biden would still become president on. January 21st, because that's how the Office of the Presidency in this country works from a like strictly constitutional perspective. The church has left our institutions um, and the church in America is on the streets, is uh, people advocating for and fighting in the movement for black lives um, and whether or not 15 people, 20 people, 750 people who gather on a Sunday morning, uh, see it that way or not, doesn't change that fact. We have a bunch of country clubs, uh, in the white Protestant church that even the most progressive quote liberal quote of these churches are not uh they're not being the church yeah and i'm really i'm really 
uh, taken by by this idea that um, that that what we call churches are not willing to um, put put the call of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the least of these first, right? They're not willing to put the well-being of others in front of their own well-being. I mean, that's the same thing that we're talking about when we're talking about coal miners losing their jobs, is that we're not willing to put the well-being of the planet over the well-being of these coal miners because I think the parable of the, the shrewd servant, this shrewd servant stole from people, stole from people, stole from people, finally had to make an account and went back and was like, you know what? I didn't care for you before, but I'm going to care for you right now. Cut this, cut this, cut this. We're going to make this work. The, um, unless the people who have been harming other people by prioritizing themselves over the well-being of the whole, unless those people are willing to turn around and do something for the good of the whole so that the collective can then start to care for them in ways that they never really cared for others. Like unless people start to turn around and make repentance and say, I trust you to care for me because I'm going to care for you in this situation. Like mm -hmm. unless we as people in the United States start doing that and unless we as Christians start doing that and stop looking out for ourselves first, we're, we, again, we're going to be stuck in this. We're not going to be able to be the church. We're not going to be able to do all of the things that we want to do. And so like, I, I have empathy for people whose way of life is being challenged by progressive policies. I understand that they're going to lose things, but here is the fucking point. They didn't care for us. They didn't do a thing to help us. They did not preserve the society. They did not put the well-being of the whole, the well-being of the least of these over their own well-being. And like chickens are coming home to roost. And I don't have a lot of empathy for you if you are not going to turn around and say, you know what, maybe my job is hurting the planet and it's time that I find something else to do. That's we we just have to change. Otherwise, we're all going to burn because of somebody's recalcitrance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, I think the, I think it's important to keep in mind who the opposition really is, right? The, uh, Rural farmers are not the opposition. Uh, coal miners are not the opposition. It's these like big to, to get Marxist because I can't come on this podcast without putting on my Marxist hat. <laughs> it is the bosses. They're the opposition in all of this. Yeah. Um, uh, coal miners do all right and they, they, earn uh, a good living uh but like the majority the the biggest employers in rural appalachia are retail fucking walmart walmart dollar general type uh jobs and those aren't union jobs those aren't jobs that give health care um so the I want to say that, like, yes, uh, there are <laughs> there are many lists of these in these situations, and 
for uh, for a long time, uh, the the Chuck Schumers and the Nancy Pelosi's, the Hillary Clintons, the uh, uh, the the Hillary and Bill Clintons, these institutionalists within the Democratic Party establishment have not have ignored much of like these concerns and these interests to advance neoliberal agendas that do put um, these people and these uh, regions into an economic depression to where uh, 70 million Americans vote for Donald Trump. I am not understanding that Donald Trump is doing the same shit as the people they're mad at, right? right? They should be voting for people like AOC, but instead they're like, oh, the Republicans, they're going to save us. Not realizing that Republicans are just as bad and worse in different ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, every like politician since Reagan has done more to advance this neoliberal agenda of putting profits and corporations above people. Um, yeah. I also, to like go back to our earlier conversation about the Green New Deal and the United Methodist Church and advancing that, uh, I think, Ethan, you put a lot of, I, I think you put more faith in local churches caring what the caring what's in the book of resolutions uh, than I would have expected you to care about, than I would have expected you to think. Like, there's so much liberal progressive stuff in the book of resolutions. Sure, sure. That um, the UMC couldn't, like, the General Conference could pass legislation that goes into the book of resolutions that says the United Methodist Church supports the Green New Deal and the UMC will keep chugging. It will yeah. be fine. Zero fucks will be given by small churches. By small I churches, mean, by big churches. No. I mean, if care. it's just in the book of resolutions, then sure. Right. Yeah. I mean that. I mean that's where that kind of thing would 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 go. Also, there's lots of stuff in the actual book of discipline that <laughs> local that's churches true. don't care about or don't pay attention to following. As a pastor, Ethan, uh, did you have kids graduate from high school in your church like one one or two they did were all so stupid uh, they did got they go off out. to college <laughs> did they go off to college Ethan? they did go off to college they did go off to college did you contact the district superintendent of the college town they were going in to be like hey timmy is a is a graduate of mine and he's going to college at so-and-so in your area here is his contact information Thank you. I did, actually. Oh, you did? Good for you. Yes. Not because I thought it was in the Book of Discipline, but because I'm that guy. <laughs> it, actually, it actually is in the Book of Discipline. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't care. The Book of Discipline's yeah. ass. Well, see um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I did it just because I, I'm annoying. When, like, when oh, was the last time uh, either of, like, as pastors, 
you conducted accessibility audits of your church facilities. My churches won't let me because they know we won't pass them. That's uh, that's absolutely that's absolutely true of the of my ch- former church as well. I was like, you know, we really should do this, and then they go, "Why? It's not like there's any cripple people here." And I'm like, "Oh God, <laughs> why are we? Why are you saying words like that?" And and that's that like goes back to my point is that local congregations are all dysfunctional. Local congregations are not capable of handling the type of healing that we need to do. And local congregations aren't interested in doing the type of justice that we need to do in order to have actual real healing. Like, I just don't have faith that the church can do any of the work that we need the church to do. And the church should, and we are called to do this. And the church can't because the church is diseased. Gosh. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I can't believe I'm, I'm defend. I, I had to do this yesterday in class too, where I <laughs> had to defend churches and, and local communities and, and stuff like that. Yes, you are right. People are bastard-coded bastards with bastard filling. Agreed. You know I agree. And yes, neoliberalism is so pervasive that, that it affects the way we understand ourselves as subjects and the way we talk about morality and religion. Yes, all of that is true. But I, I, I'm not entirely sure um, what the alternative is. The alternative, uh, m- mostly because I don't think we are um, envisioning a kind of top-down change. No. Right? And so, like, I guess I'm just not entirely confident what, what the alternative, you know, what, what we're envisioning. Like, there, the, in every community, in every small town on planet, uh, at least in this country, there are hidden voices and diversities that that are being hidden by the by the hegemonic logics of their town. And mm-hmm. so, when I told people in the town I served that I was working with a Hispanic family in town, their response is, "You're a liar. There are no Hispanic families in this town." And I say, mm, "I'm pretty sure I'm not lying. I'm at their home right now, <laughs> and they're in front of me." Yes. So, so of course, there are lots of different, you know, instances like this all across this country. And, uh, and, and yes, the way those, those like, the, the kind of dominant ways in which these local communities understand themselves, more often than not, silence and, and keep hidden vulnerable people in the community. Absolutely. What is the, what, what, a uh, smaller unit should we go to in order, if not these small towns or these local communities? No, I think it, you're right on that. Like, I, I think that the grassroots organizing aspect of this is, is absolutely correct. And I think that, um, I, I think that involving churches, community centers, local places of um, worship and local, local religious centers and, and also just places where people hang out in town. Like these are all, these are all crucial for grassroots organizers who are working for change. Um, and I think that if, um, if the church really cared about young clergy, if the church really cared about the future, if the church really was focused on like living the gospel life, then the church would be sending, would be 
actively recruiting, paying very well, giving education free, and then giving good salaries to and support and benefits to young people to go into these churches and to do this kind of hard grassroots organizing work. Like if you, if the church were really serious and were wanting to make the changes that we know that need to be made, they would focus on the local level like this because we saw what Stacey Abrams is able to do in Georgia. We know the power of organizers, grassroots organizers, and especially organizers of color. Like the church should actively be recruiting people to do this work and also recruiting people from communities to do this work. And instead, what we're gonna spend asinine amount of money on is another general conference about homosexuality. Like our, our, prioritized, our priorities are entirely the wrong place with this. And so, so yeah, I, like you are right in that, in that like, this is, a great, this is a great place to start and maybe the only place to start and that work has to get done. That work is not ever gonna be financed by the institution though. So you do kind of have to go outside of the institution, start doing this organizing without, without pay, without support, and then wait for the organization to realize that you're doing something that's actually benefiting the organization. And then maybe they'll listen to you. Or maybe they'll pull a Pelosi and they'll just ignore you. Yeah, yeah. I think I, think I agree. I think I definitely, uh, it's certainly for me not, uh, we need bigger, more robust institutions. Um, I think uh, as someone who has done a lot and served a lot on various levels of the church uh, up to the general board level, like we're just too big uh, in, in our denomination. Um, we don't, we don't as a denomination need to be funding a board of church and society. We don't need as a denomination to be funding UMCOR, right? Oh, but UMCOR. Right, but that response, that response <laughs> is, will show, shows that UMCOR could break off from the denomination and it would be fine. It would, that's true. Church and society could break off and- Probably fundraise enough. It would be able to fundraise enough. <laughs> it would get by. <laughs> All of our boards, though they say they don't want to, could, break off, be their own thing, be independent. We don't need a United Methodist publishing house. We don't need a, uh, at the denominational level to be talking about discipleship stuff. Like discipleship ministries is a waste of time and energy. <laughs> um, sorry, Junius, if you're, <laughs> ever listen to this. Uh, it's just a waste. Uh, uh, the General Commission on Religion and Race <laughs> is a waste. And is racist. And is racist. Um, all like UMW was able to break off, be its own thing, and is going gangbusters. Let, uh, uh, let everyone else do the same. And from a denominational perspective, uh, focus on taking all of the, any resources that go back up to the top and putting them back down at the grassroots level rather than 
coming up with milk toast or fake woke programming. Yeah. I, yeah, let's, let's short circuit the American dream that says that we're all going to be millionaires one day. Let's short circuit the um, discipleship to Bishop pipeline, right? That says that we're all going to be in charge one day. Let's build some fucking class solidarity and like Merry Christmas comrades. We need to overthrow some things. Right, right. Like imagine, imagine if religion and race, for example, instead of doing... 30-day anti-racist challenges across the denomination took all of its resources and be like, all right, we have all of this money and we're a granting organization at this point. And we are uh, local churches, local churches, not annual conferences, local churches can apply for grants from us. And that's, and that's all we're going to do. Young people's ministries, we're, we're not going to have a quadrennial gathering every four years to come together and be the church the way we're supposed to be will be a granting organization only and, and all of our money that comes to us will fund a step fund whatever staff person the staff you need to manage these grants mm -hmm. but then like send the money back down redistribute the wealth yeah yeah have annual conferences pay pastors rather than churches pay pastors that's that's the way to do it right there mm -hmm. is the like that would that would break the system and and let us actually do something yep i agree as opposed to having poverty wages as minimum base compensation living in uh slums of parsonages and we wonder why people don't want to be pastors. <laughs> right. <laughs> <sighs> well, it's a bad job. I mean, all, all of that is, it's just a bad job. It, it, it's, we're, we're, which we all know. That's like the whole point of this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but like, it's, it's a bad job primarily. It would, it would be a bad job even if we were paid better and different things were, were allowed to be the case. But like, it's a bad job because, it's a failing nonprofit uh, that we're told it's our responsibility to fix, even when everything is working against us, including the people that were called to lead, mm -hmm. you know, to, to fix it. You but know, it's, think, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Go for it. No, you're good. I think back to when, when Methodism was growing so much in the United States that if it had kept at that rate, there'd be more Methodists than people in the United States. Like back with your circuit riders, with your like tent gatherings, with like Methodism going on the frontiers along with white supremacy. But like when, when we were really growing at these exponential rates, it was not because we had a robust system of conferences, right? We had people who were dedicated to going out and getting other people passionate about a cause. Like circuit riders are, um, they're not grassroots organizers because they're not staying in a community, but like they are the people who are inspiring the people who are now making, who, would, who were making grassroots change at the time. Like this is a model that we know works. This is a model that we have in our history. Like we are capable of focusing back on 
the local level and not focusing on this big giant structure that is like, uh, is, is Rome at the end of the empire, right? Like it's just, it, it is too big to function. And, but we, but we have the solution and we hold up the solution all of, like, we hold up our circuit riders as these important people. Like there is a, there is a carving to a, a circuit rider in the national cathedral because Methodists were this important to, to the develop of religion in America. Like we, we have this, we have all of this as part of our Christian tradition. It's not bonkers to do any of these things. It is, it's just that we have gotten very comfortable in the way that we did church in the 1950s and people aren't willing to let that go. And like, I don't know, I don't know how to tell people that they need to be comfortable with the death of ways of doing things because the resurrection is going to come. Cause I don't think Christians believe in the resurrection anymore. Like, I don't think that Christians in the United States think that new things can happen and are good. And that's, uh, like there, there just has to be a large fundamental change. Um, and we can guide people as gently as we want to through it, but things cannot stay the way they are. Sorry, I know I keep on like going on rants that are exactly like that, but God knows I can't say this at my church. I understand. Get it out now. <laughs> I understand. I think that... Could say that at your church. I mean, yeah, yeah, at this point, yeah, why not? I guess. What are they going to do? Fire. Release you before Christmas? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't like, you know what? I'm, I don't like that, Pastor. I don't like that you said that. Oh, you don't? Well, I well, might fuck off before the last week of, um, the last week of the year. And like not even get a pulpit supply, just the like the conference is putting out a video that we can use that's designed for that last Sunday of the year that we can just play. I'll do it. That's, I We're all going to be locked down again by then anyway. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll, you, you throw me in coach. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's get ready. Let's talk about death. How old are you? 95? <laughs> You're going to die and nobody's going to remember a thing about you. Nobody will care. <laughs> When, when you die, the surface of the moon will not change. You are so insignificant. Enjoy. That's right. You are walking bags of shit and blood. Did you understand that? <laughs> Did you understand that? <laughs> walking really bags. Dig into that, Calvin, you know. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm just speaking biologically. <laughs> walking bags of shit and blood. That's it. That's all we are. Sometimes more blood than shit. Sometimes more shit than blood, if you're like me. <laughs> my diet, my diet is not great. <laughs> <laughs> ah! No, I understand. I do. I understand. Um. Yeah, I don't really have a way to fix it. I I have more of a vague notion of, um you know, really wishing the world was, uh, and our, our society was, was rich, you know, rich in, mm. in a, in a comp, in a complex way, not like wealthy. That's not what I mean. Um, everybody, we have no idea what we're doing. Thanks for listening. It's been an episode of what the hell is pastor. <laughs> we are Ethan and Joe and Ian, and we'll see you next time.
a heart full of love. And so much.